This is the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast, a place for those who care about strengthening families and protecting children. You'll hear about the innovations, emerging trends, and success stories across child welfare, direct from those striving to make a difference. This is your place for new ideas and information to support your work to improve the lives of children, youth, and families. Welcome to the Child Welfare Information Gateway Podcast. I'm Jessica Boyd and so happy to have you back with us. Today we will be speaking with Craig Barton and Dr. Rita Washington from Alternative Family Services based in the Bay Area in California. AFS supports families, children, and youth in foster, adoptive, and extended family settings. The AFS clinical model focuses on a highly individualized social support model with a goal of safety, stability, and well-being. Our first guest, Craig Barton, has dedicated almost three decades working with disadvantaged youth in the San Francisco Bay Area. In 1992, Craig started at AFS as the Program Director for Foster Care. He was promoted to Director of Foster and Adoption Services, a position he held for over 27 years until he became the Chief Program Officer. He received his undergraduate degree in social work from Southern University in Baton Rouge, a historically black college, and his uh, Master's in Social Work at San Jose State University. He has an incredible depth of knowledge relating to the unique factors impacting vulnerable communities. Craig has dedicated his career to improving outcomes for foster youth and families in crisis that are culturally relevant, strengths-based, and trauma-informed. Dr. Rita Williams Washington has worked to provide services to youth and families for over 30 years. Dr. Williams Washington joined the AFS team in her current position in 2010. Dr. Williams Washington earned her master's degree in social work with an emphasis on program operations from San Francisco State University in 1991. In 2012, she earned her doctorate in educational leadership at Sacramento State University. She takes pride in her ability to connect and engage with people. She is employed at Alternative uh, Family Services as a program director too, and serves on several communities to improve the qualities of services. Today, we'll be hearing about AFS's restorative justice program and the collaborations that make it a success, including working together with youth, families, and professionals within the child welfare and juvenile justice systems. So let's jump right in. Um, so what does restorative justice mean to you? Well, I'll go. Um, when I think of restorative justice, I, I think uh, what comes to mind to me is, is um, healing and repair. Um, I think of when I say healing and repair is uh, when, when we, the, the, the young people that we face with, if you look at their history, um, in their history, you'll see where there's either injustices or racism that they've experienced or economic disparity you know, growing up in their families. And, you know, some of these young folks, kids that we, we talk to their parents, from the time they were in their moms, when their mom was pregnant, there was, there was lack of health care. 
and from on and on at each level, uh, whether it's education, um, not understanding the, the their background and and what you know what they were up against and expected to perform like everyone else, and and the family was struggling or having some kind of hardship or one parent was missing in the family, and it's important to know their history and it's important to figure out what what are some of the tools that we could provide that young person or that person um, that was was in some kind of legal trouble to help them have the tools to be able to integrate back into their community and be able to uh, be provide for themselves as well as uh, be self-sufficient and live a healthy life. And so giving them a new start is what I see as restorative justice. I agree, Craig. Uh, I look at restorative justice as an opportunity to rebuild, um, to provide unique services that maybe we hadn't done in the past, but looking at what we can do here and now to give youth the opportunity to start over and to learn the skills that they need to be able to be successful, to be able to um, have some of their desires and some of their goals met. Um, in the past, um, services were designed based on what maybe professionals or, or service providers felt that a youth needed. But with restorative justice, it gives us the opportunity to let youth express what's really important to them, what will drive them and motivate them to try to do things a little differently um, so that they don't end up in the same circumstances that brought them to the forefront. And can you tell us a little bit more about your program? Yes, it's um, a very unique program in terms of working directly with youth that have been in a restrictive setting and giving them the opportunity to reacclimate themselves, um, teaching them skills that are needed for them to become independent, um, helping them learn how to understand and deal with some of the trauma that they've experienced, um, giving them avenues to look at how they can be healthy themselves, both mentally, physically, and emotionally, as they strengthen and build new relationships with folks in their community, as well as with their own biological families. What I'd like to add to what Rita uh, is saying is that what we see even in our foster care program, I've worked in foster care over 30 years, and now we're working with these youth that have been identified through juvenile uh, probation for us to work with. Support is, is huge. Um, without um, support, a supportive relationship that they could lean on during times of, of, of making choices, you know, um, I know as a young person, when I was growing up, you know, having someone there that I could lean on to just help me make good decisions around, um, just around the basics, whether to go to school or whether to go to work. You know, sometimes you, ju you just need um, that person to help you, whether it's finances, 
is is having those relationships. Our 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 goal is to help that person, a uh, young person, identify people in that community that they could could rely on to help them when when times get hard, when they're struggling. Um, and and we we listen to what they identify the the people in their community. Um, and these folks probably otherwise wouldn't be identified through our current um, child welfare system as as the person that we would identify would be the best model for them. Mm-hmm. You know, when when these young people are returned back home, they're going back to their communities and they're going back to the people around them. So we could help um, create healthy relationships with them so they can lean on these folks when they're out and when they need um, when they need help. And we feel like that gives them an edge uh, to be successful. Great. Thank you. Um, and why is staying close to the community or family important for restorative justice? For these youth, that's what they're accustomed to. And if we look at the our own communities, could you imagine yourself being pulled with no hope to go back or remove from where you are as individuals, um, that would totally disrupt my life if I was pulled from my community. Um, Youth have a tie to their community, just like we have ties to our community. And when they're able to get the support that they need within their community, it helps them feel safe and secured within those communities. And a lot of times I see the youth as they get older and they become independent, they're on their own. What do they do? They go back to those same communities to be able to be supportive. Um, when you look at your community leaders, a lot of times they're directly from um, that setting, giving others the opportunity to know that they can um, succeed and they can rely on the community and they can rebuild it. Um, so I think their own community is, is extremely important. Um, studies show that we do better when we're residing in, in areas that we're familiar with, that we're comfortable with, that we feel safe, um, that we're connected to. When you're connected to something, it's that inner drive that you have where you believe in it and you want to see it um, do well. So so when we, when we look at some of our, when we look at... Um, incidents reports in our in our program the highest percentage of the incidents are kids leaving the pro leaving uh unauthorized and going back and hanging out with family or being with their family um and so we know that once the kids complete our program they're going back to their family so it's it's a we have to realize that we have to engage their family or their kinship or whoever they identify. It's important that we engage, engage those people um, and, and, to, and, and get them to understand how to support that youth in a, in a healthy way. Um, and so we, we know that's where they're returning back to. So how, how we bridge that together, bring those, those, their family in, and in from their community, because the families are not moving out of their community. This is where they live, um, whether it's the grandmother or aunt. The, the kids are going back there, and and it's fi- finding creative ways. And 
and when families feel like um, they're being listened to, they're more likely to work with you. If they believe that if, 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 if putting food on the table is their number one priority and you, you prioritize that with them, then they feel like you're in there with them, you're hearing them and you're supporting them. And so having the youth go back, you know, working with them in their community is so important because we know that's where they're going to return back to. And with keeping them um, in their communities, um, going back to their original community, you want them to go back, I'm sure, to an improved situation. And also there's a component of uh, keeping them from reoffending. Um, yeah. And I wanted to know, um, how do you successfully work with the Department of Juvenile Justice? I, I know a key part of your program that you've mentioned is um, the uh, Department of Juvenile Justice and referrals that you get from them. Could you speak to that a bit more? Yes, um, we meet on a regular basis, and I think that helps us a lot. I think communication is extremely important. Um, they have the, the history and information on each youth that they refer, so they're able to give us some insight. We're also able to give them um, some insight on some of the things that we believe that could be helpful, but we work together, and I think that's helped us a lot is the level of communication is extremely high from the the um, frontline workers to the supervisors. Um, if there's any issues or problems that come up, we're able to actually sit down and talk about it, um, come to an agreement and look at how we all can work together. It's not just them or just us. We have to work together in order for this to work. You know, uh, what I've experienced in the past in, in working with other, whether it's probation or or social services, you know, a lot of times we're all doing our different things and we're all coming into the family's life, overwhelming families. We, we have a really good partnership with, with San Francisco Juvenile Probation. And like Rita just mentioned, there's, there's ongoing meetings, they're scheduled ahead of time. We know how the frequency of our meetings and, and we, we strategize how are we going to work with a particular family? What a family needs? How do who's going to do what? Our roles are are clearly defined, and it we're all working toward the, the same goals. And our goal is to help that you return back to the family and not reoffend. Um, and so we're all pulling in the same direction, and I think that has made things work so much easier and smoother. One excellent example of cross-system uh, collaboration. Um, now, transitioning back to the work that you do with families and with youth, um, with the youth that are referred to your program, how common is trauma among youth that you work with? Um, unfortunately, it's extremely common um, with the trauma that they've experienced. And one of the keys is being able to connect to the youth so that they will allow you to begin to support them in coming up with a plan on how to address that trauma to help them work through it. And a lot of their behaviors is a result of the trauma that they've experienced. So that becomes very important to give them the opportunity where they feel that they can engage with you to begin to express how they're actually feeling. And I think that's 
one of the key components at the very beginning, being able to connect with these youth. And I feel that we've done a really good job in that area. We've had some youth place initially how they'll share, not going to talk to you. I'm not going to share anything with you. Okay. But they have allowed us to connect to them. The next thing you know, they're sharing more than they anticipated that um, they would share in a healthy way. Um, Helping them work through it. Yes, that's the hard part. But seeing the willingness of the majority of these youth have been inspiring to want myself and the staff to continue to press towards that. Um, And I believe that with continued support for these youth, um, whether it's from the resource families that are working with them or from um, their community, their biological family members, um, I believe that they can continue to address those needs. In addition to that, part of our um, team, we have an um, individual therapist. And, and the kids are not going to meet the individual therapist at office. The individual therapists meet the kids where they are in the community. Um, it could be at, at, at a burger shop. It could be at any place they want. Um, we, we, we're community-based. So they, they set up their times and, and of where they want to meet. And the, the youth decides where, where they want to meet. And sometimes it's, it's somewhere in the community and it works for, the, works for our therapists. And we're all, we're all communicating all the time. And um, part of the training is that we're, it's to be all on the same page. Um, we have resource parents that are available uh, for respite. Um, when when a, a youth goes into a kinship home or a family home, you know it doesn't always it doesn't always work smoothly. You know there's there's still um, conflict sometimes. Uh, the youth may want to stay out all night, or or there's arguments or, or whatever. And and we have families um, trained uh, to do respite to give the family a break and say, okay, we're going to give you, you know, today you guys are really not seeing eye to eye. And what we don't want to see happen is for you to repeat old patterns. And an old pattern could be the youth would get mad and take off and the parent don't see him for two or three days. And then while they're out, make a bad decision and end up in, in juvenile hall. Instead, the youth go to another family's home. They, they It's time for the youth to cool off, the parent to cool off while our team and our uh, parent partner coach and work with the parent to help kind of bring them back together and and repair some of the um, conflict that they've experienced prior to the youth going into respite. And during that cooling off period, um, when the family is maybe losing faith or struggling, how do you support them? We support them by um, having them work directly with um, our staff. Um, There's a parent partner that will be on the team, someone who has been through this already, someone that understands um, the struggles of having your children um, have difficulty, whether they're not placed with you in your home anymore, or if they went through um, a restrictive setting where they've, you know, committed a crime. And 
this individual is able to share with a parent, I understand because I've experienced it. Um, I'm here to support you. They can share with them some of the things that they did to be able to deal with the obstacles that come um, and some of the challenges that they're faced with. There's also a facilitator um, assigned to the family and also a support counselor. So the team is that's developed are a team from our staff, the support counselor, the parent partner, the facilitator, and, and um, our resource parent, but also someone that they've identified to be on the team from the community. So the family is surrounded with support. So, you know, on a given day, that support person may come from that community individual that's really important to this family that understands what they're going through. Or it could be that their connection is with that, that um, um, parent partner that can sit down with them and just listen to what they have to say. A lot of times people feel like they're they're not heard. And they're not understood. So me coming in, for example, as a social worker, well, Rita, I don't think you really understand what this is really like for me where I can't just tell my kids something to do and my kid actually does it. But then that parent partner comes in and says, no, I've experienced it. I've been there. This is what I've done. This is what worked for me. We try to brainstorm and come up with suggestions for them to select and choose from. But at the end of the day, I think the biggest part is the level of support that the families will get. Um, when you're in trouble, when you have someone that you can call and that you can actually really rely on and depend on, it makes whatever you're going through just that much easier. I, I agree with what Rita just said. And and our goal is to, initially, we're, we're very much involved in, in that whole family system and we're, we're, we're the support for them. As time goes on, we're transitioning ourselves out and allowing these, these um, people that the family has identified for their support to be the one step in. And so oftentimes when people give up is when they don't have support or they don't have someone to, to be able to, to voice their, their frustrations and their anger and that understand what they're going through, someone they can lean on. Um, so we're slowly moving ourselves off, out, and push and, and working the support system in that the family have identified. What I'm hearing is a strong emphasis on building and strengthening relationships, not only for youth, but also uh, with families. Um, so I'm curious, how do you match up youth with staff and parent partners with families? On youth with staff, I've been real fortunate that so far the staff has a lot of experience. Um, They've worked in um, restricted settings as well as directly with um, foster youth. And um, the caseworkers so far that have worked with the youth have been in, involved um, working in the system for over 20 years. Um, and it's trial and error um, knowing which caseworker that probably can connect a little faster to a youth. So I feel like in that area, we've been very fortunate. Um, I feel like I can meet a youth and say, ooh, that's a youth that should go to this particular worker. And, and then there's times that I might start off working with the youth um, first. And I think um, the ability to connect is critical. And we have been fortunate to have some really good training at AFS 
that has helped us strengthen our own personal skills. But I would say the most unique thing that we all have in common is what drives us to want to do the do the work. Um, and I believe that it does come from the heart. And I know you hear that a lot, but I'm a testimony of it that it comes directly from the heart with us. And AFS has allowed us to share our ideas and our experiences and um, has supported us because um, sometimes, you know, things might get a little hard. But when we have the support, it makes it that much easier also. Um, my own personal experiences have driven um, the drive for me to want to help in this area. And um, Craig and our CEO, when you he listen to them talk about their vision about this program, it just makes you want to do it and you want it to be successful. Um, so I'm just glad for the opportunity. Yeah. I would add that um, when I think about we 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 weigh a lot of different things when when um, assigning a, a case to a particular staff, you know we look at the acuity of all their cases. Uh, we want to make sure that there's a balance uh, because if you have a couple of families that are high acuity, which means that they require a lot more attention, you have to balance them out with someone that's been in the program for a while. That is that is making has made a lot of improvement. So so we look at not only their experience, but uh, who we are we're, we're assigning them to, what level of support the family need, and then um, let that help us drive the decision. Um, because if 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 we have a worker that is spending countless hours with one or two families, then then the other families on their caseload is probably going to suffer. So. Um, that we have to make sure we're balancing that out. Absolutely. And it's great to hear about all the positive changes that you all are making in the lives of youth and families. So I'm curious, what does success look like for you? Oh, I see it in a lot of ways. Um, I would say um, when you see the common themes that come up, um, Several of the youth have been very clear that, you know, they don't want a new friend or don't want to share anything about themselves. And, and then you just listen to them and, you you know, you take your time, you try to develop a relationship with them. And then after a period of time, you start to see them become relaxed and share how they're, re how they're really feeling. Because it's not about us, it's, a, it's about them, about what their desires are. And when they're heard and they see that they're at the center of attention um, and you start to see them connect, it just goes a long way. Um, and that's been a common thing in most of the cases that um, we've had. And then after the youth have left, when they call you to let you know how they're doing and that they may share that they might need something, but knowing that they can call us and say, hey, I need some cleaning products as one of our youth recently did. Um, it lets you know that, you know, you are on the right the right track um, with developing those relationships. For me, um, when, when we, uh, we, this is a volunteer program. So step one is the family has to volunteer to come into the program. 
Um, it's, they're not mandated. Um, and at that point, the family identified, they identify what success means to them. And, and our goal is to help them achieve what they consider success. And um, we have to put into perspective that um, there may be small steps and that we have to um, we have to capitalize on 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 the steps that they're making toward improvement. And so um, when if a, if a kid or youth is engaged in the program, that's success to me because then I realize that that youth has hope and that youth has opportunity for for change and success. Um, if if a, if a, a youth and a family is is not engaged into the program, the chances of success is is much slimmer. And uh, and so engagement and developing relationships is so key to these young people in in uh, that we serve because uh, oftentimes um, they struggle with relationships. They've had many disruptions in their lives with with people that um, they they look up to that if, that in some ways have failed them. So success is is to me is establishing healthy relationships and and allowing um, others around them to engage them to be engaged in a process. Absolutely. Well, you both are certainly pros at working with families and youth, but I bet uh, that they are also teaching you things and strengthening your skills as well. Uh, with your time at AFS, um, what have you learned working with youth? That I needed to um, develop a higher level of patience and that I have to be mindful of how I'm feeling so that it doesn't impact what I'm doing for them. And it's a learning process that's ongoing. Um, it helps you to learn like what your own individual strengths are and where your weaknesses are and knowing how to pull on other staff members to help them um, use their strengths in certain areas that you're not as strong in. And that's where that teamwork comes in. I do believe that so far working in this program has helped my team be a better team because we've had to work together a little closer with um, this specific population. But then at the end, we see the rewards of it too, which has been really nice and um, encouraging and showing us that we could do more. What I've learned in the many years is that one size does not fit all, that um, you really have to understand the young person that you're working with and what their needs are. Um, and it might not match what, what you think their, need, their needs should be. Um, and, and I think from honoring them where they are at that time will allow you a better chance of engaging them. Um, and so I, I do think that uh, respecting them for who they are, regardless of 
what they bring to the table is understanding there is some strength to what they bring. Um, and so looking for the strengths and how do you honor the strengths that they bring? Because on some level, um, a lot of these young people that we work with have heard a lot of negative things about themselves over the years. And so how do you, and what they, and most, and, and in, 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 in a lot of cases, they're expecting you to just to see the negative side of them. And so a lot of time they, they show you that side. And if you take the time, you will, you will find the strengths and to um, be able to, to work toward helping them identify their strengths. And, and I do think that that helps you see them in a whole different light. Now, my staff would kill me for not saying this, Craig, just make me think of it. Your level of creativity definitely increases. Um, we all get together and just brainstorm because we do understand, like Craig said, that one shoe doesn't fit all. And we look at everything as one unique situation and what can we do? Um, so our level of creativity has greatly in increased for the better. Well, I like your uh, creative, collaborative approach uh, between staff and youth while maintaining respect for the youth and really focusing on their strengths. Um, I imagine working closely with youth who are experiencing difficult situations can take a toll uh, emotionally on staff. How does your staff support one another? Um, I think one of the keys is, you know, when we come together, we could look at each other and tell um, whether or not someone might need a break and might need to do some self-care. But we check in regularly. Every week we check in to gauge how are we doing? Because um, it's really important that we're physically and mentally healthy um, working with the youth. And if someone, you know, needs a day or needs a week, we make sure that they take it. Um, we talk regularly about, you know, what are we doing to have fun, to keep our brains fresh? How are we regrouping over the weekend so we can come back in on Monday, um, ready to go, um, but self-care is critical. Um, AFS provides us with training to make sure that we're talking about it. You know, a lot of times you um, are so concerned about other people that you could forget about yourself, but we have learned and realized that a, a key point is how healthy we are as individuals also. I call it bench strength. You know, it's having a bench that, that of people that you can rely on. Um, we have, we have, not Rita mentioned support counselor, case aides. We have a team of people. It's not one person trying to, um, help a family go from point A to point B. It, it's a team approach and a team approach work better, uh, when you're dealing with, with high acuity clients or you're dealing with, with families with multiple needs, uh, it's so important that we're tuned to each other because if we're struggling or we're dealing with a family issue, um, we, need, we need our team to support us in, in order for us to be able to support the family. Um, you know, I, I just recently experienced death in my family and I, was, I, I didn't worry about what was gonna happen at work because I know everything was going to be managed because we have, we have, we have bench strength. 
people will step up and everyone understand their role and what we have to do to help families succeed and and help each other. Um, it, it's so important that uh, we pay attention to each other and and our our program managers are trained to manage um, stress levels of their staff, to recognize when someone is burning out, to um, have to build a level of trust because this is this is what we have to do with our family. Trust is so important. Relationships to where I could go to Rita and say, you know, I'm I'm struggling with my son at home. I'm going through this and this and 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 she may say, well, maybe you should take a couple of days off. Uh, this might have some effect on your ability to be think this issues through clearly, and and we talk things through, and uh, that is that has made our work environment um, a healthy place to work, in order for us to provide the level of of support the family that we work with need. That's huge. Um, having trust and support between two members that have a common goal. Um, when times are tough, uh, do you have some memorable successes that you look back on um, that you'd like to share with us? Okay. Well, I know we don't have all day, so <laughs> <laughs> I would I would uh, have to say um, when a youth calls back or goes back to a resource home to let them know that they're doing okay. Or when a family calls you and they say, you know, Rita, things have worked out. We're doing okay. They'll send us pictures um, when things are going well. And, and even sometimes they'll call and they say, hey, I'm struggling a little bit, where we can get them back in touch with services that they can benefit from. Um, every family that I worked with over these years, I feel like I can find a positive in it. Um, whether they feel like they've succeeded or not, just the fact that they are acknowledging um, what's currently going on with them says a lot, because that means I was able to connect to them and they were able to connect to the staff or the resource families that they've reached out to. Um, one of the unique things that I've learned since I've been at AFS is the importance and being able to engage and have people really believe and understand that you actually do care about their well-being. And that comes from my background. My parents were foster parents when I was a kid. Didn't understand it then. Um, even was a, a little jealous. I felt like all they needed was, was me because I was the youngest. But I learned the importance of what giving back really means. And that you don't need to expect anything in return. But when you see others doing well or getting their needs met or identifying that they have some issues or things that they need help with, that's what's rewarding. So for me, my success stories come in on a regular basis, and I'm grateful for that. Well, well my success I'm gonna, is going to be a little different. Because mm -hmm. over the years I've been um, with the agency, I've experienced um, a just enormous, just 
overwhelming number of success stories. But, but the one I really want to talk about today is um, during, during the height of COVID, when we're all freaking out about COVID and, and the impact of, of what, you know, catching COVID and, 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 and dying, um, we had families courageous enough to still take except kids into their home. We had families that were still willing to accept youth, teenagers coming from juvenile hall to live in their home and get a second chance. And it overwhelmed me because initially when, when we, there was this public health talk speaking and sharing information about, um, you know, not leaving your homes, not going to work, you know, we're doing all this stuff. And, and I, and I, the first thing came to mind is what's going to happen to these kids coming into, to care? What's going to happen to these young adults that, that need to be placed from juvenile hall? And the families, they didn't miss a beat. And they inspired me because they were still receptive. And we talked about all the ways for them to keep themselves safe. And we were all scared. We were all scared. But at the end of the day, they were bringing those, the kids into their home. I wasn't bringing them in my home. They were the heroes. They were bringing kids in their home, caring for them, and even kids that were symptomatic. And with all the stuff that's going on in this world today and the tragedies that we experience, you know, when I think about that, it gives me hope that, and it still gives me hope that, that, that we have people in this world that are willing to do the right thing by other people. So that's, you know, that's my success stories I want to talk about. They're my heroes. Mm -hmm. I agree with you, Craig. Okay. We're just agreeing a lot with me today. This is must be a good day for me. No, our families are exceptional. Um, you know, there's kids that come in and, you know, you get the history and, you know, you have to share it with the family and um, especially with our um, youth that are come from a restricted setting. Um, there's some information to share and our families don't say no. You know, I can call them and they'll say, Rita, what do you need? I need you to take this kid <laughs> and they'll come back with, well, as long as you're going to support me, you know, we, we can try to do this. We can try to make it work. And um, knowing that it just goes a long way, you know, the level of support, whether it's the support that the staff are giving um, to each other or the support that's being given directly to the family, um, it comes back. And it's on both sides. Um, they give us support. We give them support. Um, but the youth in general, when looking at the difference in their outlook, their demeanor, their attitude, when they begin to see that that high level of support has been extended to them, words can't even describe that. And it's, it's priceless. And I think that's what drives um, 
us to want to continue to come up with creative ways to meet the needs of the youth and their families. And, and, and our, our success at AFS is a testament to our families and our staff. And, 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 and because of them, um, I feel like our, the kids we serve and the families we serve have a chance for a better future. And I, I honestly believe that. It really speaks to the trust that uh, you have with these families. Uh, I appreciate you sharing those examples with us. Um, it is very inspiring. Um, and Rita, Craig, uh, I want to thank you so much for sharing your time, knowledge, and stories with us during this podcast. Uh, for more information about Alternative Family Services, visit www.afs4kids.org. Um, and as always, you can connect with comprehensive child welfare resources designed for professionals to help protect children and strengthen families by visiting Child Welfare Information Gateway at www.childwelfare.gov. My name is Jessica Boyd, and I want to thank everyone for all that you do for families. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for this edition of the Child Welfare Information Gateway podcast. Child Welfare Information Gateway is available at childwelfare.gov and is a service of the Children's Bureau, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Administration for Children and Families. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Information Gateway or the Children's Bureau.